This is the podcast for RUF at App State. Everyone is welcome and no one is unexpected. For more information, visit us at appstate.ruf.org. looking this first half of the semester at a book in the Bible called Proverbs. Why look at this book? There are some parts of life, some decisions in life that are obvious. There's an obvious right or wrong. Like if you're choosing where to go for the best wings in Boone, the answer is obvious and we all know it. But most of life, much of life, involves decisions that are really not obvious and that require wisdom. That's exactly what Proverbs is pointing us toward and actually holding out for us. Wisdom, which is skill in the art of godly, beautiful living. So this book is inherently practical for each one of us. And it, I believe, wants to teach us what wisdom is. But more than that, it wants to make each one of us wise. So let's look together at these verses from Proverbs, and I'll pray before we begin. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. 1522, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. 16.3, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. 16.9, at the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you that you not only want us to see wisdom, you want us to ingest it and become wise as we look at Jesus who is wisdom embodied. So show us the truth, and we ask that the truth would set us free. In your name, amen. So the year was 2010. It's a simpler time. Apple had just released the first iPad. Uh, The finale of Lost was a global disappointment to everyone. Lady Gaga wore a meat dress. It was a good time. And LeBron James was making a decision, but not just a decision, but the decision. After seven seasons with the Cleveland Cavaliers, he was a free agent and he was going to choose a new team. And ESPN was doing the special on where he was going to go next. It's creatively titled The Decision. And ESPN, they played up the drama to the nth degree, like leading to the finale of Endgame. And finally, he announced his big Decision. He was going to the Miami Heat. And the decision felt massive, felt huge. Where's LeBron going to go? What's he going to choose? What decision is he going to make? And it felt all the bigger because seemingly he could go anywhere except for the Hornets, who were the Bobcats at the time. You may not be LeBron James. I may not be LeBron James, but your decisions can feel just as massive. Big or small, your decisions can feel huge. When you're making a decision that impacts the course of your life, 
It can feel like ESPN cameras are trained on you. What are you going to choose? What are you going to do? And you're in a section of life that involves a lot of decisions. Where should you go this summer? What major should you choose? Who should you date? Should you date? Where should you live after you graduate? These are decisions, some of them small, some of them big, and they feel massive. They feel huge. And all the the more huge because there's not a scientific equation that helps you make a lot of decisions, a lot of these decisions. And instead, they require wisdom. And this is exactly what Proverbs is telling us, that in order to make decisions, or at least wise decisions, you must be wise. To make wise decisions, you must be wise. And I want to explain what it means to make wise decisions by looking at three aspects of decisions. The terror of decisions, the way of decisions, and the freedom of decisions. So the terror, the way, and the freedom. So first, the terror of decisions. Why are decisions so scary? Why are they so frightening to us? A couple of reasons. One, decisions are terrifying because actions have consequences. What you do matters. You choose one action or make one decision, and it leads to one consequence. You choose another thing, and it leads to a different consequence. On top of that, some decisions, some choices lead to greater uh, comfort and ease, and other decisions lead to greater pain and frustration. And here's the thing. It does us no good to just say, well, just do what seems right to you. Look at what's going to cause the greater comfort and ease and choose that. Because often the thing that seems right to us, that seems like it's going to lead to the greatest comfort, ends up leading to the greatest pain and frustration. And in a big picture way, this is what Proverbs 14, 12 is communicating. There is a way that seems right to a man or woman, but its end is the way to death. In this context, the way that seems right is the way of disobeying God. And it leads to alienation from God, which is death. But in a more general way, the things that seem right to us often can lead to frustration and even suffering. If I were to quit my job and try out for the NBA G League, that may seem right to me, but it would be disastrous. and lead to great suffering, at least for me and my body. But what do we do when it's not obvious what to choose? I mean, when we make big decisions, we can feel like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible. We're diffusing a bomb, and you have to choose to cut the red wire or the green wire. And you choose the wrong one, and boom, no more Tom Cruise. So decisions are scary. But also decisions are terrifying because you have to cut off options. I mean, at times we would prefer having just the red or the green wire because more often than not, it's red or green or blue or purple or chartreuse. There's not just two options. There are a hundred options of what you could do. Seemingly, at times, infinite options. Take, for example, what major to choose. Maybe this was easy for you, but for me, it caused intense anxiety. Even with the hard sciences easily off the table for me, I felt like I could either be a linguistics major or a philosophy major or a religion major or a music major or a cinema cinema studies major. Honestly, 
I switched my major more than Boone switches weather patterns. And it was terrifying. It was just the infinite possibilities that were terrifying in themselves. And decisions are terrifying because when you choose one thing, you cut off the other options. I mean, the the root word where we get the word decisions from actually means to cut off. And this is scary to cut off other options. One thing that's scary about dating is that you choose one person to date, and at least it feels like you're cutting off other options. And what if another good, maybe better option comes along? I mean, we can even get stressed out figuring out what to do on a Friday night. Because when you commit yourself to one thing, what if another better option comes along? I mean... No wonder it's, it's terrifying for us to make decisions. But also, decisions are terrifying because we tend to be deceived to believe that life should be perfectly fulfilling. Some of our fear related to decisions is because I tend to look at life as though there's a bullseye out in the future. And that bullseye is me fully satisfied and at peace. And my decisions compiled together form this arrow that I aim and I'm shooting to get closer and closer to that target. You know, you choose the right job. You choose the right place to live. You choose the right spouse. You choose the right cause. And then eventually you get to the bullseye. And if we think about it, no wonder we're terrified because what if you make the wrong decision? What if the arrow gets slightly off? And you just miss it. You cut the wrong wire and kaboom. Again, no wonder that so often many of us just get frozen and we make the least amount of decisions as possible. Or we delay decisions and see even small decisions as massive. That's the first thing. Just to recognize honestly that the decisions are really scary for us. But the second thing is the way of decision. So given that decisions are scary, what should we do about it? How should we go forward seeking to make wise decisions? Well, there are two basic ways. The first is trusting your heart. One way to make decisions is based on what seems right to you or feels right to you. This is the follow-your-nose approach to making decisions. It's probably not surprising that Proverbs takes issue with this way. Look at 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Do not lean on or depend on your heart or what seems right to you. Instead, lean on God's heart, his understanding, his plan. But why shouldn't we trust our heart or what seems right to us? When I was in college, I went on one date, one single date. From what I remember, it was fun, but I never went on another date. (laughs) You might be thinking, maybe maybe that's because everyone else said, no, that's possible. But when people would ask me, why do you never go on dates? What I would say to them is that it just seems right for me. It seems like the right thing to do, honestly. It's not the right time, that kind of thing. And in my mind, it really did seem like the wise thing. 
I felt like, you know, this is the, the way that I can stay above the fray, above the drama. And, you know, really, I don't need to date like everyone else. But what, looking back on it, my heart was not wise. I was terrified. And thus, I never went on any other dates. And going on that day was hard enough. I was sweating the whole time. I was terrified of dating the wrong person. Looking at life as though there's that bullseye off in the distance. And you got to find the right person to date. I was terrified of being close to someone enough that I would fail them and disappoint them. I was terrified of what other people thought about me. My heart was not wise. It was proud and scared. And so I made the decision that led to the least amount of risk and allowed me to basically judge everyone around me during breakup season especially. When we put our trust in ourselves to make decisions, we assume, like me, that we are wise. We assume that we're wise. And when we assume that we're wise, we assume that our hearts desire the right things. And Proverbs tells us, apart from God, that is not the case. And just as a note, when you're thinking about what job to choose... This is not saying that you can't honestly assess where your gifts are or what's going to provide for you or what job is attractive to you. What Proverbs is saying is basically this. Your heart, the thing that guides you to make decisions, is an untrustworthy guide. So put your trust in God's heart, in his will. Trust the Lord with all of yourself. This is the second way. Trusting God's heart with your plans. Instead of trusting your heart, trust God's heart with your plans. Acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And if this sounds like Christianese, you know, trust God's will. Or if it sounds overly simplistic or weirdly spiritual, it's not Proverbs' fault. It's not God's fault. It's our fault for misunderstanding what it means to trust God's will. Because when we talk about trusting God's will, what we often mean is find out there God's secret will and then make a decision. And that's at best a misunderstanding. And to understand, get in the weeds a little bit here, it's helpful to define what we mean by God's will. What do we mean by it? Credit to a pastor named Kevin DeYoung here, but there are three different ways of talking about God's will. One, the Bible talks about God's will of decree. God's will of decree. And what that means is that God decrees or wills everything that has happened, is happening, or will ever happen. I mean, a simple way of thinking about it is that nothing slips past God. Nothing happens where God is like, oops, I didn't mean for that to happen. I mean, so 16.9, you can see, says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. You're not a robot, You make your own decisions, and God governs every part of your life, every decision you make. The second way of talking about God's will is God's will of desire. This includes all of God's commands. It's what he wants for his world. It's it's what he wants for you. And because because the Bible affirms God's will of decree and his will of desire, it can talk about a horrific event Say, a nation in the Bible that attacks and exploits the vulnerable. You can talk about that event in terms of God willing it and God condemning the nation that committed these terrible acts. 
course, how these two things fit together is mysterious, but the Bible affirms both. Will of decree and will of desire. The third way is, is talking about God's will of direction, which is God's specific plan for your life. God's specific plan for your life. Does God have a plan for your life? Yes. Because he decrees and, and wills and governs everything, and because he wants your good. He has a beautiful, specific plan for your life. But does God have some specific secret plan that you have to figure out before you make a decision? No. No secret plan that you have to figure out before you make a decision. I mean, how many times in the Bible does God tell us that there's a secret plan about who you exactly are supposed to marry, what job exactly you're supposed to take, or where you should live? Zero times does the Bible say that. But how many times have we, we as Christians, talked about life as though there's, you know, there's one person out there for you that God has, has set up for you, and you just gotta, you got to find that person. We, we can talk about God's will like it's a buried treasure out there. You have to kind of like follow the map like a national treasure and steal it for yourself. When we talk about it that way, we obscure what God's will really is. I mean, but how many times does the Bible talk about having an inner peace and feeling completely at ease before you make a decision? Zero. But so many times we ask God for a sign or we ask him to, to put us completely at ease so that we can make a decision. But these expectations are unbiblical, sub-biblical. And really, they, they make us end up trying to be more spiritual than God is. Like when I'm trying to decide if I'm going to go do an internship out of town this summer or stay in Boone and hang out with my friends, maybe I feel like I have to like have some vision where God lifts me up into heaven and an angel screams out, Internship! <laughs> these... Uh, <laughs> These expectations are nowhere in the Bible. And the reality is that I would argue they are more about trusting our own heart than God's heart. What I want is certainty. I want God to tell me exactly what to do that will definitely lead to my fulfillment and my satisfaction. And I do that because I want fulfillment more than I want God. I want God to tell me exactly what to do because I want certainty more than I want God. Let's be honest, though. So often I don't want God to tell me what to do because I don't want anyone telling me what to do. And at the same time, I want God to tell me exactly what to do. I want there to be a sign from heaven that tells me what job to take or what to, to put in my schedule and what to take out of my schedule. But God's not interested in that. God does tell you what to do. He tells you to trust him. And God doesn't tell you what to do. He doesn't, with a thunderbolt from heaven, tell you exactly who to marry or exactly what job to take or exactly where to go after you graduate. He doesn't do it. So this leads us to the last thing. The freedom of decisions. The freedom of decisions. God is not sneaky. He's not like Dumbledore in the Deathly Hallows where he kind of sets up these crumbs and clues, clues that you have to follow in order to find his will for your life. Where, where he hides the big picture. 
actually the exact opposite. God clearly shows you the big picture, what he wants for this world, and he wants for you, and then he wants you to make your own decisions with freedom. What does that look like to live and make decisions with freedom? It means first to seek his kingdom. So Proverbs 16, 3 tells us, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. When I first read this, I thought it meant the exact opposite of what I see that it means. Because I read it as, you know, commit your plans to the Lord, commit your decisions to him, and then he will sprinkle spiritual magic dust on them, he'll bless them, and then they will be fulfilling. But it doesn't say that. It says commit your work to the Lord. And your work is everything you do. It's your whole life. Commit all of yourself to the Lord. Entrust yourself to his heart, to his care. And then what? Your plans will be established. Or another way of putting it is your plans will be wise. Entrust yourself to the Lord and he will make you the kind of person who makes wise decisions. This is God's will for your life, that you would seek his kingdom, his way, that you would entrust yourself to his plans, entrust yourself to him, entrust yourself to his word, obeying his commands and believing the promises that are contained in it. And then you will become the kind of person who makes wise decisions. That's his will for your life. I mean, kind of adding to this, there's a New Testament book called First Thessalonians where the author says this. This is God's will, your sanctification. God's big plan for your life is that you would be sanctified, which really in the, in the end means be made like Jesus. God's big plan is that you would seek his kingdom, his way, and be made more like Jesus. That's it. That's the big thing. Seek that first. And then make decisions with confident freedom. Seek his kingdom and then make decisions with confident freedom. If you seek God's kingdom as the first thing, then you can make decisions freely. Freely, because if your plans are committed to God, knowing that he is in control and he wants your good, then you become the kind of person who does what is wise. You become the kind of person who knows that life isn't meant to be perfectly satisfying, so you don't look to a career to be fully satisfactory. You, over time, by his grace, become the kind of person who doesn't look to romance for salvation, so you can seek to spend time with someone without the certainty of knowing what the future holds. You become the kind of person that can make decisions that cost you, that are unpopular, The kind of person who who makes decisions that need to be done, but don't give you the inner warm fuzzies while you make them. You also become the kind of person who asks for wise counsel. So 15.22 tells us, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. When you entrust yourself to the Lord, you know that your heart isn't the best guide. And so you look for wise counsel from wise people around you. You can make decisions freely because God is your father. That he takes care of you and he wants your good. And so you can't cut a wire that will explode his big purpose for you. It can't happen. 
That's real freedom. That's real freedom. We can go to the next slide. Uh, Kevin DeYoung says this. Because we have confidence in God's will of decree, say degree up there. Decree is what it's meant to say. We can radically commit ourselves. <laughs> Let's just pray. <laughs> because we have confidence in God's will of decree, we can radically commit ourselves to his will of desire without fretting over a hidden will of direction. In other words, because we know God's in control and he wants our good, then we don't have to sweat these decisions that we're making as though the entire universe depends upon them. I love this quote from our guy, St. Augustine, who says, love God and then do as you please. In other words, when you seek God as your aim, you can live freely. And of course, that is real freedom. Uh, I was watching a movie recently called Free Solo, which is a documentary about this climber named Alex Hanold. Yeah. And he is famous because he's the first person to climb El Capitan Free Solo, as the title suggests, which means without ropes, without harnesses, with no protection. It's 3,000-foot rock formation. So, of course, this would be impressive. I couldn't do this if people were carrying me up it. This would be impressive without any of that stuff. He does it just by himself. One false step, no harness, no ropes, you're dead. What's so fascinating in the documentary, if you've seen it, really recommend it, is how little he seems to think about falling. Whether he's at 30 feet or 3,000 feet, it's just not on his mind. And while he is partly delusional, this is the kind of freedom that we have. In truth, because God's will for you is sure, he wants to make you like Jesus. He wants to bring you to himself. And his desire for you is good. You can live freely without fear of falling. Don't get me wrong. You can stumble. You can scrape. You can bruise. You can fail and fall a number of feet. But you will not fall to your destruction. You won't cut the wire that blows up God's purpose for your life. In the big things and in the small things, there is nothing that can separate you from God's grasp on you and his purpose to draw you to himself and to make you like Jesus. In all things, this is what he's doing. And he's able to do this whether you live in Boone or in Charlotte. He's able to do this whether you join the Peace Corps or you become a real estate agent. You're free to choose. You really are. You're free. And you're free because Jesus came to make you free. He came to unchain you from a future without God. He came to be raised from the dead to secure God's purpose for this world and for you, which is a future where God's kingdom fully comes and you get to be a part of it. And you get to be a part of it because he freely decided to love you. And because he fully, freely loves you, you're free. So let's go out and let's make some decisions. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your good purpose for our lives. Thank you that you don't ask us to read the tea leaves. You ask us to trust you. Um, and I pray that you would do this. You would give us trust, give us faith so that we can live freely in the world that you've made, knowing you're our father, you're in control, and you want our good. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.